Happy Sabbath, Church. Happy Sabbath, Church. Is it a happy Sabbath? Can we sound like it's a happy Sabbath? Happy Sabbath, Church. Okay. There's nothing as beautiful as when you realize or when God confirms what he has taught you through different people. From the ladies who were doing Sabbath school, you basically spoke on my sermon, basically. And the song that Celestials, Celestial just rendered right now, it just confirms to me that indeed I have been hearing God speak to me. However, there's, there's just one thing that frightens me about standing here in front of God's children. And that is the potential it has to take the speaker away from God. It's very easy for us to be concerned with, was my message received well, my message? It's very easy to be concerned with, did people like what I said instead of, did I allow God to use me? So this morning, as I pray, I'm going to ask that you pray for me in your hearts and actually pray for every speaker that is going to be speaking throughout the day because while this place is very sacred, the devil also uses it to draw people away from God. Shall we close our eyes for a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, you are amazing. You're beautiful in all ways possible. You're powerful beyond our understanding, and yet you pursue after us as if we weren't the imperfect beings that we are. So, Heavenly Father, we trust that you're going to speak to us because you love us so much. We trust, Heavenly Father, that your angels are already in our midst. Now, Heavenly Father, as you speak through me, I ask that I say nothing to offend your holy angels. And I pray that your Holy Spirit may be the one that teaches your children what you want us to learn. I pray asking of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of us who have seen the poster for this Sabbath sisterhood know that... I'm sorry, it's just awkward standing there. But those of us who've seen the poster for this Sabbath have probably already know that the title for today's message, or this morning's message, is Women of God, Love Yourself. Women of God, Love Yourself. Now, it's not going to be a very long message, but I believe it's very important. It's very close to my heart. Women of God, Love Yourself. Now, throughout the ages, Society has seen women as some sort of objects. In the past, we've been used for trade, 
We've been used as peace offerings between families. We have been used as trophies that must just look pretty, keep quiet, and, and just stay there for display. And in more horrific situations, women have been used as sex toys. And society has accepted this. And when I say society has accepted this, I include us women. We have accepted that we're objects. We have accepted that it's, it's okay, you can play around with us. In today's world, if you look at a lot of music videos, you see half-naked women twerking and dancing, and we go hooray to all of that, because in our heads, that's what a woman should be. And as a result of this, us as women are forever in meaningless competitions of who looks the best, who has the best body, who's wearing Gucci and who's not, who has the best handbag and who's not, such that we, such that we, 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 we don't have the time to appreciate who we are. We, we do not love ourselves. I don't know how many times I've seen young women or young girls on social media who were once close friends destroying each other and humiliating each other on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And I wish... Can I move this pulpit a bit closer? <laughs> As I was saying, I wish I could say that this is only existent outside of church, but I'd be lying. We who are women called by God have the very same issues that women out there who do not know anything about God have. We do not understand who we are. We are constantly trying to destroy each other. And I believe that at the center of this chaos is the lack of understanding who we are. Now, if you go to Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, you can turn there if you want, but it's a verse that we all know very well. It says, I will just read the first line, my people perish or my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. So what God says is that if you are destroying yourselves and each other, it's because there's something you don't understand. If you look at the verses that lead up to that verse 6, verse 1, 2, and 3, God is describing Israel as a terrible place to be. The Israelites are literally killing each other. There's no truth amongst them, God says. And it's, it's just a disaster. And I want to believe that that's, that's to an extent how we are as women. We're forever emotionally killing each other because we lack knowledge, God says. Now, I believe there are two things that we need to understand 
as women. Now, I'm speaking to women this morning, but this is applicable to everyone. There are two things that we need to understand as women. Two things. In order for us to, have, to leave secure, less strife, and happy lives. And those two things are the knowledge of God, one. And when I say the knowledge of God, I don't mean coming to church every Sabbath and I don't mean merely coming to church every Sabbath and making a routine out of attending church. I don't mean a mere theoretic knowledge of biblical concepts because the Bible tells us that devils believe, right? So that's not a knowledge of God. What I mean is having an intimate relationship with God such that we can honestly say, my relationship with God is better than any other relationship I have. Now, how many of us can say, my relationship with God is better than the relationship I have with my parents, with my spouse, if you have a spouse, with my boyfriend, if you have a boyfriend, with my friend, with my sisters, with my siblings, whatever. How many of us can honestly say, the best relationship I have at this moment is my relationship with God? But that's not what I'm talking on today. The second thing, which is what I'm going to be talking about is a knowledge of who we are as women in God. A knowledge, an, an understanding of who God sees when he sees us. Now I'm going to pose a question to the ladies. Who does God see when, she, when he sees you? Well, let me ask it like this. What is the first thing that God says about you as a woman in the Bible? And I'm not asking a rhetorical question. So who does God... What's the first thing God mentions to us as women in the Bible? I'm going to wait until I have answers. The first thing, look at us turn our Bibles now, but what does God say about you as a woman? First thing God says. I can't hear a thing. Yes, ladies, I'm talking to the ladies, not the men. Ladies, who are you? In God's eyes, what does God say you are in God's eyes? Thank you. My goodness. Can we turn to Genesis chapter 1 <laughs> and verse 26 to 7? And could someone read it for us? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 7. Male and what? So God could have easily said, then God created man in his image, full stop. But God saw it fit that he should mention that 
both male and female were made in his image. It's, I, I imagine that God saw the degradation of women and decided, let me put something in there to remind them that they are made in my image. Now, in most cases, when you ask people what's the first thing God says about them, women, they go to help meet. And God says, before you get to being a help meet, before you, be, you get to being Abel's mom in chapter 4, you were made in my image. We're going to talk about what that means later on. But the devil attacks this image because he knows that when you don't understand who you are, when you have lost your identity, it's easy for him to suggest to you that, well, maybe this is what you are. Maybe you're a twerker. Maybe you're a sex worker. Maybe your, your role is just to stand there and look pretty and say nothing. And if you don't grasp who you are in Jesus, any suggestion sounds good. Now, as I was preparing for this morning during the week, I looked at the fall of men. I believe God led me to the fall of men. And I, I realized that the fall of men, the human race, was as a result of Eve, the woman, not understanding who she is in Christ. And I'm not saying Eve, the woman, because I'm speaking to women today, no. I'm saying the woman Eve because the Bible tells us, Patriarchs and Prophets actually, tells us that Adam was not deceived. Ellen White tells us that he could see that this serpent is actually the danger they had been told about, but that he didn't want to lose Eve, which is another story altogether for the men, for the brothers. But the Bible tells us Eve was deceived. And the confirmation for this, I think, is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Somewhere in that chapter. Sorry, I don't have the verse, the exact verse. But Adam was not deceived. He didn't have a mistaken identity. Eve was. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verse 1 to 6. The Bible says, now the serpent, okay, say amen when you have the verse. Okay. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God said you shall not eat every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor, you, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The King James Version, I'm using the New King James Version. The King James Version says, and you will be as God's knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the fruit 
was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of this fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. Okay. So the first thing that the devil does, if you look at verse 4, is that he tries to test Eve's understanding of who God is. Did, did, no, God, God is lying, basically. You won't die. God is, is self-seeking. And had Eve had an understanding of who God is, the conversation would have ended there. Because she would have known that God, as it is written in Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not the son of man that he should lie. He, she would have known that, no, this is not a conversation for me. This is some sort of deceit. Going on, in verse 5, the serpent says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God or as gods, knowing good and evil. So the devil is saying, what God said in Genesis chapter 1, that you were created in his image, that you're like him, no, that's not true. But in order for you to be like God, you can eat of this tree. But had Eve understood who she was, had she understood that she is already made in the image of God, there isn't a need to want to be like gods, she would have been on some kishapu. I'm like, I'm like God. I'm like the God. I don't need to be like gods. And can I suggest to you that that is the same trick that the devil is using on us women day after day. If God says, you are beautiful in my eyes, the devil says, has God said you're beautiful in his eyes? He's lying. He doesn't want you to be as beautiful as him. But to be beautiful, you can well... Now get me wrong. Get me, get me right, not wrong. I'm not saying makeup is wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But if your purpose in it is to look beautiful, the devil has lied to you. God says, God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The devil says, has God said you're fearfully and wonderfully maimed? He doesn't want you to be like him. But to do so, you can maybe have a tummy tuck, add some fat nyana, like, juice yourself up a bit. And in, as I'm saying, it's the same lie over and over again that the devil is recycling made specifically for us women. Ellen White says fashion, even though I'm in that industry, fashion is an industry that the devil created for us specifically. Because God says, you are amazing in my eyes. God says, I have fearfully and wonderfully made you. And the devil says, no, you don't look pretty enough. You need to look like so-and-so in order to be pretty enough. And as a result, we, 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 it's hard to love ourselves. 
because we don't understand who we are. Now, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Because it's easy to say, yay, we're made in the image of God and not understand what that means. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? If we remember in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible speaks about uh, David, who was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so. And when it gets to Adam, it says, Adam, who was the son of God. In other words, going back to Genesis 1:26, if being made in the image of God for a man means that you're a son of God, it means that you as a woman are a daughter of God. You're a princess. You are the daughter of a king. Not just any king, might I add. You're the daughter of, of the Lord who created heaven and earth. You're the daughter of the same God that holds the whole universe in his hand. What does it mean? It means you do not need verification from anyone except your father. It means you do not have to try so hard to fit into groups you don't belong in because you already belong. You are royal, the Bible says. And now, too often, especially as Adventists, because Anditi, we try to correct the errors of saying that uh, our works follow us, and we tend to think that our works determine our worth. And that's a lie from the devil. Our works, our works, get me right, are important. Our works are what prepare us for a life in heaven. Amen? But our works do not determine who we are. They don't determine our worth in Jesus Christ. And you know how I know this? Let's turn to Romans. It's a verse that you know very well. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. And could someone read verse 6, 7, and 8? Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. While we were yet, what? So, I always love to say this phrase because it, it always sparkles something in my heart. Christ says, you as a woman of God, you are worth my life. How many of us would die for anyone, honestly speaking? How many of, of us have someone we, we truly believe, like, Yamana, that's so-and-so. I would die for them. Now, Christ being God, with the value that he has, says to you as a young, elderly, upcoming, whatnot woman, 
He says you are worth dying for. And not worth dying for in your perfect state, no. While you are a sinner full of nonsense as you are, Zandile, you are worth my life. Now there's a lot that we, 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 we must change in the nonsense that you've made yourself to be, but you are still worth my life. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8. Now, the context of this verse is that Israel has been terrible, as they always have been, and God leads them or allows for them to be captured by Babylon, right? And then he says to them, Zechariah chapter 2, starting from verse 6, Up, up, flee from the land of north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of the heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Chapter, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. Now listen to this. For he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the phrase actually means, but I'd like to believe that it's the dark part, the iris or pupil, the dark part of your eye, your apple of your eye is the dark part of your eye, right? And God says, you are that. You are the center of my attention. And this is a nation, the Israelites, that have been full of nonsense. And I'm emphasizing that your worth is not based on your works because too often when we as oh, imperfect human beings drop when it comes to our works, we tend to think that our worth in God's eyes drops with our works. But that's not how it is. Jesus says, my love to you is a constant. If when you were born or if before you were born, while you were still being conceived, my love for you was at a thousand percent. When you are full of nonsense and you've had seven abortions, I still love you at 1,000%. I don't like the fact that you're destroying your body, but I still love you at 100,000%. And that's the thing that we need to understand about being children of God. That children, child of God or daughter of God, is, it's not a role. You have responsibilities, but it's not a role. It's who you are. Now think about it. When you are a princess, you, there's, there's nothing you can do to be a princess. You must either be born from a king or a prince should decide that he wants to marry you. Nothing you can do whatsoever. And when we are born again, we are in every way, every way children of God. We are born into royalty and we're the bride of Christ. 
in every way possible. You're a princess. When you are full of nonsense and you are so down and you feel like, in I say, ayo, there's no word in English. Yo. <laughs> when you feel like, <laughs> you know, which translated is ground open and let me go in, basically. When you feel like that, when you are at your lowest, you're still a princess. How many of us have children? Because I saw children. So how many of us are cho- uh, not children? How many of us are parents? Okay, I can see a few hands. Now, please nod your head or shake or whatever. When your child, your daughter, I'm, so, I'm sure you have a set of rules in your house to protect the child, as well as to keep order in the house, right? Now, when your child decides that, I'm going to break these rules, in your heart, do they stop being your children? Mothers, I saw mothers. Do they, stop, do, do they stop being your children? And it's the exact same thing with Jesus. Some of us will perish and God, the Bible says God will whip over us because his children have decided to die. Never, there is never a point in time where Jesus says, Yabana, right now, I'm, I'm, you're not my child. I don't love you anymore. Ellen White even says, God has love for Lucifer or Satan. And the, the terrible thing is that we think that our worth is in our, how perfect or imperfect we are. And when our worth is there, best believe it's going to fluctuate. Can we turn again in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31? The book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, and verse 3. And could someone read it for us? So God says, he has, again, he's speaking to Israel when Israel is full of nonsense. And he says, I, as your God, have loved you with an everlasting love. Does an everlasting love ever end? God says to you, women of God, he loves you with an everlasting love. So the love of a boy who's trying to get, I will be real, in between your legs should be nothing when you realize that I have a father who loves me far more than you could ever love me. Now, as princesses, there's a mentality that we should have. And remember I said that you being a princess, you can't be proud of yourself because you can't do anything to be a princess. But you walk in confidence because of who your father is. Now an example 
I once experienced something sort of like that in high school. I went to a boarding school um, back at home, and one of my seniors, she was in grade 12 when I was in grade 11. Uh, she was from royalty. She was the daughter of a chief. She is the daughter of a chief. And Yabana, when you are matric in my school, your uniform would change from green to black and a bit of blue. And the women and the girls would be allowed to wear heels that are three inches high or lower. And so when Usivu, this girl, came as, at her first day as matriculant, she was wearing the most odd shoes. You know those heels that have a heel, but it's not really a heel? The ones, <laughs> the ones that make you look like a granny. She was wearing one of those. And as we were preparing to go to breakfast, everyone was laughing at her. Like, it was hectic. Like, everyone was just laughing at her. She kept quiet. And then we went to school. And when we came back, how our boarding school was, was that the girls would line up on their side and the boys would line up on their side before you go into the dining hall. And while we were lining up, getting ready to go to lunch, she came dressed in her casual wear and her granny shoes. And then she went, walked right up to the beginning of the line, and she's like, she was like, okay, to everyone who's been trying to laugh at me and make a mockery of me, you need to understand that my shoes are worth more than any of your shoes. Then we're like, okay. And she continued, and my shoes are not that expensive. They're very cheap. But the thing is, Ndimo's mwambile. But the thing is, I'm the one wearing them. And next time you want to laugh at me, just remember which means just remember that I'm of royalty. She walked right back in her granny shoes, and what could we say? Nothing. We, we were all quiet and shocked, like, yo. And that's the kind of confidence that we, who are not from an earthly bukos, who belong to a heavenly kingdom, should have. We are daughters of a king. We are daughters of the most high king. And there's nothing anyone can do to change that. So this morning, as I had said, women of God, love yourself. Your father loves you infinitely. And there's nothing great to praise about us. We're normal. A nose is a nose, a hip is a hip, an eye is an eye. But we serve an amazing God. We belong to an amazing father. And because of him, because of his glory, should we be confident in doing anything? You know, you know when you are amongst a group of friends, and as the Christian one, you realize that uh, things are getting very spicy. This is not what you would like to do. But because you want to be verified and you want to be part of this group, you keep quiet and things happen. But when you understand that, I don't need verification from anyone. When you understand that my God has 
all the resources that I need. My God has all the wisdom that I need, and my God has made me 102% beautiful. You will, you will cease to break his laws in order for you to be part of a group. And I did say our sermon was very short. So our last verse for this morning, shall we turn to Psalms 120, 139. Psalms 139, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but before, O Lord, you know it altogether. So what David is saying is, Lord, you know me as I am. There's not an action, there's nothing that I do that escapes you. There's nothing that I think of that escapes you. There's nothing that I say that escapes you. In other words, you know, you know me through and through. He continues to say, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely, okay, then we skip to verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that I know very well. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts towards me, O Lord. If I should count them, they would be more in number than sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Now remember David, and I will keep emphasizing the nonsense because we're, full, we're all full of nonsense. David was a man who was spicy. He was... Yo, this guy, he killed people's wives, people's husbands, so he could get to the wife. Like, we can even see it in how Solomon be, became a promiscuous man. He was a full of nonsense guy, David. But he says in Psalms 139, you know all of this about me, Lord. Yet still, your thoughts towards me outnumber the grains of sand. So this morning, if there's anything that you should remember, okay, if there are a couple things that you should remember, one, 
You are a daughter of a king. Let it settle in. Don't be an Eve who doesn't understand what that is. You are the daughter of the Most High King. And number two, when you falter in this trial to try and get to being where God wants you to be as his princess, when you fall, you are still a daughter of a king. I'm not saying let's go and go crazy. But when it happens that our imperfections overcome us, remember you are still the daughter of a king. Nothing and no one can change that. God knows you better than you know yourself. And can I mention that? He died for you before you were even born. Knowing that this one is going to do this and that and this and that and this and that before she comes to being where I want her to be. He knows everything. You know that thing that you don't even tell your bestest best friend that thing that you harbor inside where you're like, yo, if this were to be displayed on a billboard, the shame I would go through. He knows that. He knows it. And he still loves you with an everlasting love. So this morning as we pray, I'm going to ask, I'm not going to make an altar call, but I'm going to ask that we introspect, and I believe everyone said that they didn't have a relationship with God that was better than any other relationship they had. This morning as we pray, I'm going to ask that we each pray for ourselves to first of all have an intimate relationship with God, not just routine have an intimate understanding of how amazing and how marvelous God is. And secondly, that we come to terms and understand that we are daughters of this marvelous God. So shall we kneel as we close in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you love us. Father, we thank you that despite our faults, that despite all the things you see us do and say and think that you love us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to not just have verses to back up that you love us, but that, Heavenly Father, we may know it in our hearts of hearts. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every woman who is 
in this building this morning. I pray for every woman who has accepted you as Lord and Savior and every woman who hasn't, dear Lord. And I ask that you bring us to a knowledge of who we are in you. Heavenly Father, a lot has been done to our identity. We have been fed false statements about who we are. We have been told that when you are lighter skinned, you're better than someone who's darker skinned. We've been told that our bodies are not good enough. We've been told a lot of things, dear Lord. And this morning, Father, I ask that you break all of that and rebuild us afresh. Heavenly Father, I pray for the young men who are in this building as well. I ask Heavenly Father that they also understand who they are in you. I ask Heavenly Father that they understand who we as women are in you and that they may know what it is to be a prince and how it is to treat a princess. I pray, Father, knowing that you have already answered this prayer. And I ask that your Holy Spirit follow us and remind us of these truths till you return again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.